Kerstin? Yes? Relax. I see you're a bit nervous. What is happening? I need to do well on honors. I need. I have to, to study in quantum mechanics and statistical physics and BCGs and merging, merging accretion rates. Ah, it's all so hard. But relax. We finally are back. <sighs> Breathe. So take it easy. <laughs> because there are many things we would like to tell today. First, perhaps we should apologize for our delay in recording another episode. But as you can see, we have been a kind of busy. We've been a little, a little bit busy. There is something very important that I have already told Christine some few times. Getting her honor in astronomy, it is very, very important. And that is her absolute priority at the moment. Yes. Even so before the scientist. That's right. So thank you all for being so patient and for being so understanding as well. You've all said... Good luck with my studies, and I thank you all for that. It's going well so far, but it is still very hard, and we're very happy to be here for one episode quickly before... Finally, although I have to say that they have not completely your fault, because when you were free, as I have been starting lecturing at the uni, so we couldn't do it. So when you were usually free on Mondays, and when it was our typical day for recording the episode, mm -hmm. on Mondays, now I'm lecturing. So it was... Kind of hard. A bit, bit hard, a bit difficult. But we manage and we are here, we are back. We're back. And we are going to be talking about something very interesting in this episode, I yes, think. Yes, I think you all know what it is, though. No, probably. No. They have not heard about this thing. No idea. Anyway, oh. I'm Angel Lopez Sanchez. And I'm Kirsten Banks. And, and we, we are, are the Scientists. scientists. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 23. We are back after a bit of a longer hiatus than we expected, but we're back. But it is okay, because uh, we are very excited to be talking about this big topic today, which is basically going to take everything. Yes, space news is going to be this, the main topic is going to be this, and what's up is going to be this too, yep. because it's, it's, just, it's just too big. Not to talk about. Ah. <laughs> you should have seen Kristen Frey doing this <laughs> as a joke. Hey, I think that uh, would be a moment to say, what are we going to be talking about? Well, I guess we better talk about that little thing that's been in the news a bit recently. You know, that um, the fact that we got a picture of a black hole. That's pretty exciting. Uh -huh. That thing that has been everywhere in all the big newspapers mm -hmm. and in the TVs and in all the radios. Mm -hmm. And I have seen amazing images and amazing titles about that. I love one from one British newspaper that says, that is what uh, the Brexit looks like from space. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Yes, and there's been lots of memes about it too, which is hilarious. Lots of lots involving the Eye of Sauron from Lord of the Rings. Ah, because it is reddish. It looks reddish, which, funnily enough, it's only because they chose that particular color map. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it because could have been at, green. Because at the end of the day, it is a reconstructed image using very different kind of telescopes. Mm. And, and that has been the tricky part of all of it. Because I have seen, many of us have seen this kind of... People in social media complaining, so I can get better images with my iPhone because it is a bit blurry. Oh, <laughs> puppies. You don't realize 
just how much science and how much blood, sweat, and tears went into getting this particular image. And I feel like we should mention, by the way, just just in case people don't understand what we're talking about, we're talking about M87 star, the supermassive black hole at the center of the M87 galaxy, was imaged, directly imaged, by a telescope, in inverted commas, because we'll just we'll explain that in a little bit. She's quoting and I'm doing that to telescope. Your telescope. Um, and we will explain what we mean by telescope in a moment. But yes, we are talking about this fantastic, incredible achievement that the astrophysics community have achieved all together to actually directly image a black hole. Because back in the day when people would ask us, can we see black holes? We would say no. No, we can't. Now we can say yes. Strictly talking, we still can see it. <laughs> That's a good point. Yes, it's, it's better we, than no. <laughs> we see the scientists have been talking about the shadow of the black hole. I would like to refer it more as like the silhouette of the black hole, but at the end it is more or less that, because the black hole itself, it is hidden in the middle of that. Yes. And we even not watching the limit of the event horizon, it is... Yeah. It's a bit blurred, not blurred, but it's distorted. It is distorted, it is around there. But in any way, it is a wow, amazing image, as you have said, combining plenty of data with a fantastic international effort of, mm. I don't remember how many institutions, many radio telescopes all around the world, different kind of people involving different techniques. And it is actually even difficult to say that it's an image of a person. So it is an image of a very large international team, which we have said that in the past in this podcast, it is the way that science is working now. It's not an individual thing. It is something that we connect together, many different people from different Mm. countries, um, for different ideas sometimes, but with all that passion, we try to understand better the universe. That's right. Yes. So, a little bit about this black hole. How big is it? Well, they call it supermassive for a reason, aren't hell? Because it's about six and a half billion times the mass of the sun. Which is a lot. Which is a lot. (laughs) But that mass is squished down to the size of about our solar system. So imagine our solar system filled with six and a half billion suns. That's a lot. (laughs) It is a lot. It is a lot, and it is just amazing how these objects even might exist out there. I would like to refer to our very first episode when we were talking about black (gasps) holes. And we were talking... Uh, we were talking about the stellar black holes mm. and the supermassive black holes, even the intermediate mass black holes. For this, we are talking about these very big monsters that are in the center of all galaxies. We yes. know that very well now. We know that there is another of these supermassive black holes in the center of the Milky Way, mm. Sagittarius A star, with a mass of 4.4 million time the mass of the sun something like that not as big as that one in m87 but it's still a supermassive black hole indeed these are kind of interesting objects to try to investigate further for understanding what a black hole is yes which at the end of the day also a bit of summarizing what we did in the first episode it is an object that have an incredible amount of mass, as mm-hmm. you have been saying a moment ago, in a very, very, very tiny volume. Yes. And then even the velocity that you need for escaping from this object is larger than the speed of light. Yes, so not even light can escape the grips of a black hole. 
and that is why it is called a black hole mm-hmm. at, the, at the end of the day. Um, we have been discovering black holes in our Milky Way galaxy and also in the center of the galaxies, but talking first about the stellar black holes, just observing intense X-ray and gamma-ray radiation of material that have been accreted around the black hole and it is starting to be very, very, very hot and that is why this material is emitting in very high energetic frequencies in X-rays and in gamma rays and we have seen that very well and also in the center of galaxies but so far we have never had this kind of image of observing the silhouette, the shadow, the the thing that is there, the hidden monster in all the galaxies. That they never sub- directly seen anything like this before. We've, we've always been able to see the effects of black holes on the space around them. So like gravitational lensing, um, other forms as well, like the accretion disk. You can see the accretion disk and the jets, relativistic jets that pop out of them too. Exactly. And even quasars have been also the consequence of a supermassive black hole in the center of ancient galaxies. These are very active because they have plenty of gas. They are just eating all this gas in some Mm -hmm. way. And that is why they are very, very, very bright, even in optical frequencies, the ones that we see. And radio galaxies at the end of the day, they are also a consequence of this. So it is a supermassive black hole, they have an accretion disk, and then emitting radiation perpendicular to, to this accretion disk. And sometimes that radiation can be seen very, 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 very far away from the galaxy itself. Sometimes even some few million light years away from the very galactic center. Wow. And that is what they are producing these beautiful images of um, radio galaxies with the two lobes. Mm. For example, Centaurus A. I was just about to ask that, about like Centaurus A. Wow. Well, I think we should talk about how we were able to actually get an image like this. Mm-hmm. So let's rewind back to the telescope. The telescope, <laughs> quoting telescope. Yes. So this telescope, essentially we used a technique called interferometry, where you connect multiple telescopes together, kind of. You have multiple telescopes pointing at the same thing at the same time. I know it's eight telescopes were used. Which ones were they? They are using a network of radio telescopes around the world. For this particular case, for the observation that were conducted in early April 2017, they used eight different observatories. But it's a bit confusing because some of these observatories are actually one single radio telescope, oh. and some of them are actually an array oh, of go. radio interferometers by themselves. So eight different observatories. So they are different yeah. observatories. And I can try to summarize all of them quickly. So the most famous, perhaps, and the most important one, because it is the one that has provided the sensitivity of foreseeing this. Let me guess. The Very Large Telescope? No. Ah. ALMA. Oh, Elmer, Be- very, course, very large telescope. Course. It is optical. We are talking about that. We are observing the universe in radio wavelengths, in particular yes. in millimetric wavelengths. ALMA has 66 radio telescopes in the Atacama Desert, 5,000 and a bit meters uh, over the sea level. The majority of these 66 radio telescopes are 12 meters in diameter, 54 of them, and 12 of them have 7 meters. So that is a very interesting, complex radio interferometer that perhaps we should discuss in a further episode a bit more. So Alma had 54 telescopes? 66. 66. 66. I'm going to add all the telescopes up okay. as we go. So then we have also, in the almost in the same place, very, very nearby, the Apex 
radio telescope, which is the Atacama Pathfinder experiment. In some way, it was the very first ALMA antenna there, but it was not actually the antenna for ALMA. It was just for testing the technology and the instruments and so on. And now it is an independent radio telescope, again, 12 meters. Continue with that SMT, or the submillimeter telescope, 10 meters radio telescope in Mount Graham in Arizona. So now we are spending from South America to North America. Then we add a very large baseline, which is the one connecting these two sites with Europe, in particular with Spain, with ah. Granada, oh, which is where the Iram 30 meter telescope is located, a beautiful radio telescope in the mountains, in the snowy mountains. You have to mm -hmm. see those images. That is our fourth observatory. We still have four to go. And we now go to the other part of the world, from Spain to Hawaii. And in Hawaii, there are two. One, it is the James Clerk Maxwell Telescope, 15 meters antenna. And the other one, it is the submillimeter array, which as it says, array, the SMA, it has eight antennas, each of six meters. This has been for a while. Actually, I have had collaboration with observation in this radio interferometer some time ago. From Hawaii, we are going to the South Pole with the South Pole Telescope, 10 meter radio telescope in the Antarctica, exactly in the Amundsen Scott South Pole Station. There you go, so right on the South Pole. Yes. And the last one will be the Large Millimetric Telescope, LMT, which is in Mexico. It is a 50-meter radio telescope in Sierra Negra. When all these telescopes are observing together, in some way, and I'm going to say this again, in some way, it is equivalent to having a big radio telescope or almost of the size of the Earth. Oh, Gives me chills every single time. And that is why we can achieve this amazing resolution. So we're connecting almost pretty much 80 telescopes around the world together to create a telescope that's effectively the same size as our planet. Exactly. Whoa. With that, the resolution, the spatial resolution that this observatory gets that, by the way, we didn't say the name of the, of the experiment. It is the, the Event Horizon Telescope. <laughs> EHT, the spatial resolution will be only 20 micro arc seconds. Which I heard is about equivalent to finding a golf ball on the moon. Something like that. The other equivalent that I have here, it is that you are in Paris, you can read the newspaper of someone in New York. Wow, I almost spat up my tea. Yeah, yeah I, I saw that. <laughs> So it is really amazing that we can do that. That is using a technique that is called VLBI, Very Large Baseline Interferometry, that have been there for a while. I mean, we have been using VLBI for different radio observations, even in Australia, mm -hmm. combining parks and the Australian Telescope Compact Array and Timbibilla and some few other small radio telescopes in Western Australia and in Tasmania and in some few other places. It is well known. The problem is how we can reconstruct an image from this kind of data. Yes, which I remember seeing online, just to make this one photo, was about five petabytes yes. of data. Like, whoa, whoa. These data have to be recorded with atomic clocks. 
Yes, because it must be recorded at the same time. If they have exactly. That is, at the end of the day, the technique of interferometry. That is very well applied in radio, and that is why we have the radio interferometers. Mm -hmm. And now we are starting to do that a bit in optical. For example, the gravity instrument at the VLT, that we can talk a bit more about that in another episode, but it has been quite successful, for example, observing recently an exoplanet around a star and being able to identify, get the spectrum of that exoplanet and getting things from there. Okay. Don't, I don't have the numbers at the moment, but they have been quite, quite interesting. But at the end of the day, what radio interferometry is doing it is that you get a signal that is getting to a radio telescope in a particular moment, and the same signal should be arriving to a different telescope that is separated by a distance with a small delay, a very small delay. And we can do an interference of those signals in a way that we construct the interference, that we can get some actually data from there. So the trick is that we use two things. One, many different baselines, which are distances between different radio telescopes. So the more baselines you get, the better you will be able to reproduce or get a, an image in radio astronomy in radio, following this technique. And the other thing it is the rotation of the Earth. Because as the Earth rotates, the spatial position of each two radio telescopes is slightly changing. And with that, what radio astronomers have been doing for a lot of time, it is using what they call the UV plane, which is the position in amplitude and phase of the correlation between the signals that have been taking different radio telescopes. And with that, they have been observing for perhaps half an hour, an hour, or even, I remember, have been doing many of these 12 hours, for example, and using the rotation of the Earth to add many, many points to this plane. And now the magic of optics comes to help. In some way, that plane, the interferometric plane, we can do something that... It's a bit kind of complex, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> the inverse of the Fourier transform. Oh, yes. From there, it is the way we get an image. That rings a bell, actually, from a, from a course that I did in second year for computational physics. And we, we did like Fourier transforms and the inverse of that to get images from like FITS files and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. ah, so it rings a bell for me. I don't know about you guys. But so, <laughs> so it is not easy to perhaps to explain that in a podcast because we're using only the sound and it is not easy to see or even imagine. But you have this kind of plane with the UV plane or the interferometric plane with plenty of points that actually they have a connection. They are more a kind of arcs because of the rotation of the Earth. Mm. Um, the signal that you're getting there, there is a theorem that says that you can go and get the image and it is unique so the brightness and distribution of those signals correspond to a unique thing in the sky which is your image what you try to see and in some way and i remember this very nicely from my lectures in optics 20 years ago at the uni <laughs> it is what optical telescopes are doing if you are reconstructing the image in the focal plane not using just the, the, the path of light, but using like the 
diffraction of every little single point of the mirror into your focal plane. Oh. It, 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 it sounds complex because <laughs> it is complex. Of course. At the end of the day, I'm sorry for the long blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day, it is just using different radio telescopes separated by tens of thousands of kilometers, giving very, very long baselines to be able to resolve very nicely, spatially, the object. The larger your baselines, the more resolution you are going to get. Mm. But, sorry, and I just will let you go talking, <coughs> the last thing I wanted to emphasize, little bracket here, <laughs> little extra thing, <laughs> little, little side, the reason why I moved to Australia 12 years ago was to learn radio interferometry. Ah, okay. There you go. I was working during three years at CSIRO, Astronomy and Space Science, and that is why I learned using all of this. That is why you're also very excited about seeing all of this coming <laughs> together. Of course, it is not the same to have a radio telescope with the size of the Earth of only just little points. So you will get the resolution, but you're not going to get the sensitivity. Yes, because you don't have a telescope at every single point around the Earth. Exactly. Acting as like... I guess pixels. If you can, were to imagine no, no. A, a, a te- like a telescope little. mirror as like in like little squares of pixels, not yeah. each square. I will say just little parts of a mirror. Yeah, something like that. Mm. That is why usually this technique have been only used for observing very bright objects. Yeah. For example, the center of galaxies have mm. been used for the center yeah, of galaxies. They seem to be quite bright. <laughs> and observing, for example, now we are talking about M87, about the jet that M, the, 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 this supermassive black hole has. Mm. It's a great photo taken by the Hubble Space Telescope in the optical and ultraviolet light where you can really see that jet coming out and it is magnificent. If you add the V, not even the VLVI, even the VLA data of this telescope, the very large array data of M87, there are even some way of zooming in into this jet and going into closer closer to the center of the black hole. And if you, you are using the VLVI as we were using in the last few decades, then you can go even closer to the center. But we have never been able to achieve the resolution needed to do something like this. Mm. But now we have. The resolution and the sensitivity. Yes. Now I'm going to steer a little bit here on hell to something that's been bothering me for a bit with M87 star. Okay. okay. It's called M87 star, but it's not a star. It's a black hole. Sincerely, I will never understood why. <laughs> but Sagittarius A star, it is... Is not a star. It is a black hole. The black hole is not a star. Stop <laughs> this, astronomers, please. Centaurus A star, <laughs> it is a black hole. But, you know, astronomers have their funny side. Yes, <laughs> we're, we're barreling towards a misunderstanding here. <laughs> but actually, speaking of Sagittarius A star... The the EHT collaboration, we're trying to look at Sagittarius A-star as well. Is there a photo of that now too? Thank you very much for asking that. And I'm going to jump into feedback here. Ah. Yeah, because where do I have it? It's on the back. In the back here. We have actually received some feedback during the last, you know, few weeks that we have not been away. Thank you very much for your patience again. It was our good friend, Anthony Clemens. Why we couldn't get a photo of Sagittarius A-star? Ah, yes. Because we knew that uh, Event Horizon Telescope have been observing the two objects, 
Sagittarius A star, I mean, the super, star. not a star, the <laughs> supermassive black hole in the center of the Milky Way. That, by the way, we know it is there because using cake and VLT data, these optical observations, we have seen the stars moving around mm. the center of the Milky Way very nicely. I love that animation. It's so cute. It's fantastic. So we know it is there. We also knew that the Event Horizon Telescope have been observing M87 star. When we had the news of the news, <laughs> or the announcement that it was going to be this kind of news, and everyone was a bit, hey, what is going to happen? It will be Sagittarius A star. Everyone was almost thinking about Sagittarius A star. Yeah, I was definitely surprised when they pulled out M87 star. Like, oh, okay. Some of us were still a bit skeptic about what they were going to get. And say, mm -hmm. It will be a big announcement. Although, you know, having, I think there were five big media releases in six. or six. In Simultaneous. In four continents. Mm -hmm. Well, that might have been a clue that perhaps it was. It's a big deal. Yeah. It, yeah, it kind of say uh, we tried, but we couldn't get it. Yeah, or they have found life on Mars. No, no, no. no. Or water on Mars. No, 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 no. Don't go that way. No. Sagittarius A star, as we mentioned before, it is not that easy to combine all those data. Mm. And we are also relying in the rotation of the Earth. Of course. So we have to assume that the object that we want to get an image using the VLVI technique, the very large-based interferometry, is more or less stable, meaning that if we are going to be observing continuously for 12 hours, we are assuming that it's going to be exactly the same image in 12 hours because it is not changing. Yes. In M87, because of the size of the very massive black hole, well, it can be assumed. There are some slight variations, but not that much. Mm. But the problem it is with Sagittarius A star. Much closer. Because it is much smaller. You know, we are comparing the supermassive black hole of M87, which is six and a half billions mm -hmm. mass, masses of the sun with Sagittarius A star, which is 4.4 million, million, so million, million uh, solar difference. masses. So it is a big, it is a four, or, four order of magnitude. Yeah. So the sizes are very different. And also their variability can be very different. And that is the problem the collaboration is having with Sagittarius A star that is actually changing very quickly. Yes. So when they try to combine the data, they are getting something, it seems, difficult, blurry. So they are still trying to deal with how to process all those data and how to get a nice result and hopefully another nice image yeah. of another supermassive black hole. And I saw, I saw Katie Mack describe it as a toddler. <laughs> running around, trying to take a photo of a toddler that's running around yes. the sugar high or something. That is a very good analogy, of course. Coming from Katie, it has to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she makes the best analogies in any of these cases. And the EHT collaboration have been able to process the data of an 87 star, and they have published six papers at yes. the same time. I have actually, yeah, um, there are uh, something like 190, almost 200 pages in total that I have not read. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I have been able to get a kind of a summary. Um, let me at least give the titles of this paper just to, for completeness, you of know. You, you will hear in this podcast, we are doing very funny things and getting also the few details that are interesting, I think. So the first one, it is, well, 
All of them start with um, first MIT-7 event horizon telescope result, one, the shadow of the supermassive black hole, which at the end it is just summarizing the observations and the main result that is obtained in MIT-7. Right. We, we didn't mention the diameter of the ring, it is around 42 micro r seconds. With that, they were able to estimate that the diameter of the event horizon in this supermassive black hole it is around 40 billion kilometers equivalent to 270 astronomical units. Mm -hmm. We can put that in the context of the solar system as you said before. Pluto it is, it is around 39.5 astronomical units average. Sometimes it's a bit farther, almost 50, but average. So M87, the event horizon in M87 star will be around almost seven times larger. Mm -hmm. And the Voyager 1, which is the most distant spacecraft that we have at the moment, probably will always be the most yes. distant <laughs> spacecraft, I don't know, depending on what we do. No, probably, I, we, no, 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 what I'm saying, no, 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 no. Yeah. Eventually it will not be, because we need to send another spacecraft to the space. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Voyager 1, it is at around 121 astronomical units, meaning that the diameter of the event horizon it is around 2.2 times that. Just to give the perspective of all of that, since that this has been the main result from this uh, paper. So the second paper, it is two array and instrumentation, and it is just mainly providing the characteristics of all the radio telescopes, of the event horizon telescope, that we are, we are briefly mentioning before. You always have to... Talk about your instrumentation and how you do your experiment. And then, then next, you have to explain how you process the data and calibrated your data. And that is paper number three. Number three data processing and calibration. They were observing the, this M87 star during four days. And they were also observing Quasar 3C279, which is needed for calibration purposes, very important. And then combining the VLVA data, they have actually used different software on different packages of software I'm mentioning that but they have been done that independently and different groups also in, in an independent way in order that they were able to to be sure that the image that they were producing it was good, good. Right. i'm going to try to explain this again because that is very important so because we are going to have another little thing about here about this here different subgroups within the Event Horizon, collaboration, or Event Horizon Telescope collaboration have been working independently in order that they can connect all the data to get the image. Without knowing the result, they then, all of them, went together, compared what they got, and oh, magic. It is more or less the same. It is never the same, particularly. Never exactly, never the, exactly same. the same, but it is. That's very similar is incredible. Like, that does. Very unlikely. <laughs> And I'm going to mention that the, 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 they were using the different algorithms to use that, but one of the best, if not the best, that was able to reconstruct this beautiful image of the shadow of the black hole, it is called the CHIRP algorithm, continuous high-resolution image reconstruction using patch priors, which is a Bayesian algorithm that have been created by Catherine Buman. I heard a lot about her. What a great woman. She has been in the news also during the last few days mm -hmm. just uh, because she has been kind of the face of doing this. 
It is also sad to see that many people, you know how internet is sometimes, mm -hmm. have been trying to say, well, no. Yeah. So the Classic other one. Troll puppy syndrome. The trolls, exactly. Mm -hmm. So it is a bit sad. But it is also important to say that she developed the algorithm, of course, with this idea. And she was one of the very first persons to see this image. But that image was later also reproduced by many different people with different kind of codes. And I don't put, put everything together to get this, this paper. And she is the very first person to say, that is not me. It is the collaboration. Yeah. It is a and huge amount of... Definitely. But on the other hand, it is so important, as we were discussing in our previous episode, that we have women, that the role of women in science and in technology, and that these women, and this is a very young uh, woman, I think it is even 30 years old, something like that, 29, and, and she has been able to do the coding, the programming, understanding the physics, using the observations, compiling all the five petabytes, what it is, petabytes? Five petabytes. Petabytes of data, something crazy. Mm. So it is, we have to recognize these people, yes. this person. And, and, and I think that she actually deserves this visibility in a good way. 100%. If you want to hear more from Katie Bowman, go see her TED Talk. Go watch her TED Talk on how to image a black hole. And talking about tech talks, now in realizing, we forgot to mention your tech talks. Now completely out of the topic that we were discussing. Yeah, I, I, I guess I did a TED talk. Hello, welcome to my TED talk, everyone. Uh, I hate you. I'm so, 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 so jealous. Um, oh is, is your TED talk already available online or not? Not yet. Not yet, because yeah, I have not I, seen it. I think, I'm not sure if the live stream is still up and available to be watched on the University of Sydney Facebook page. But the YouTube video should be up shortly. Um, I'm still bouncing off the walls. To oh, be I can't imagine. I, 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 was watching, I was watching your photos and said, she's completely out of place, enjoying it. So <laughs> good, good on her. I'm feeling jealous. I'm not going to the one. But at least I think that at least one or two of my photos were there. Yes, thank you, thank you. If those of those of you who did watch or were there, um, you may have noticed that Angel's name was on my slides because you gave me some fantastic photos to use for my presentation. So in some way, I can say I have been in a TED talk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the big news for me now, also continually changing topics, it is that finally I'm an Australian citizen. You finally. But I know some Spanish, so now you will see that I have the two nationalities. So I'm a Spanish Australian astronomer. Awesome. That's Good. So cool. Okay. Go back to the main topic. Mm -hmm. We were saying three and now we go to uh, paper four, imaging the central supermassive black hole, which is just providing the detail of the image that uh, have been obtained with a different method. And mm -hmm. um, the most important part of this paper, perhaps, it is that confirming that they don't observe significant variation between the different methods and the different uh, images that they were obtaining, although they were obtaining some by day by day some kind of variability. And there is a gift around there of the evolution of cool. the variability of the supermassive black hole. Then, paper number five, the physical origin of the asymmetry. Because we haven't mentioned... Oh, of course! Some of the biggest... One of the biggest things of the photo is that it's not symmetric. 
Exactly. Mm -hmm. For a very good reason. And that very good reason is basically relativity. Yes, it is hey. re it is relativity and, and it is also that the supermassive black hole is rotating. Yes. So it is a combination of several, but at the end of the day, it is relativity because you need relativity to explain that. Mm. And that in this paper, it is when they are trying to explain the asymmetry of the photon ring. It is called a little ring of that we nicely see with this image. With this observation, it is impossible to know the rotation speed of mm -hmm. the black hole or even the, the rotation speed of the photon ring of this ring. But with the simulations that have been using GRMHD. Let me guess, general relativity something or other. Magnetohydrodynamic. There we go. General relativity, magnetohydrodynamic. Wow. <laughs> I don't want to see the equations of that. <laughs> really. <laughs> I don't want to see the equation of that. Anyway, so they were able to say that it is actually rotating, meaning that it occurs. Black hole, of course, it is the kind of the black hole that are rotating. But it seems that the black hole and the ring are rotating in different directions. Ooh. So one is rotating in, uh, I think that um, the, the ring it is the one that is rotating uh, clockwise, mm -hmm. as we see in the image. And to explain that in the way we observe, the supermassive black hole should be rotating on the other way around. That's weird. Which is quite weird, but that's cool. what I see. In this paper, they are also thinking about alternative ideas to the a black hole of care. So anyway, there are many ideas about black hole. The last paper is number six, the shadow and the mass of the central black hole, which at the end of the day, it is kind of a summary of everything. Yes, of course. Cool. Okay, and like I said at the start of the episode, everything, everything is going to be about the black hole today. So what's up? M87, that's what's up. It's actually not that that hard to find. As no. Well. It's, it's reasonably bright. No. In a large galaxy. Yes. And the other good thing is that it is very easily observed from both the northern and the southern hemisphere. Of course, because it is part of the Virgo constellation. Virgo yes. Costa, part of the in the Virgo constellation in the sky, which mm -hmm. can be seen from both hemispheres because it's one of the star signs and the sun goes through it. And... Star signs, star signs. Okay, okay, star yeah. signs. <clears throat> <laughs> Yes, it is actually almost in the border between Virgo and Leo, mm -hmm. in that area, which is just, I don't know how many galaxies are there, but, so many but just get a small telescope and, you know, just walk around and enjoy it. Do, do you want to hear all of the galaxies that are in that little region? Uh, uh, you, see? Yeah, we'll go for it. We've got M61, M49, M87, of course, M84, M87, M90, M60, M91, M100, M98, and M85. Our listeners in Spain will understand the kind of joke that I was trying to do. But that is, all of those are part, I think all of those are part of the Virgo galaxy cluster. Yes, the majority of them. Perhaps, no, no, I mean, all of them. All, all of them. So there will be probably perhaps a tiny galaxy, which is a background galaxy, but all of them are, no, at the end of the day, all these Messier objects are part of the Virgo cluster. By the way, Messier 87, M87, also known as NGC 4486, it is also known as Virgo A. Because it's the biggest, brightest cluster in, galaxy in the cluster? Radio. Because it was the very first radio source oh. to be found in that area of the sky. There you go. There you go. 
That's cool. That is the same way that Centaurus A, it is Centaurus A, because it was the very first radio source in the Centaurus constellation. So just um, also for completeness, it is at around 43 and a half million light years away, but we have been saying 55 because the uncertainty is it is plus minus one and a half million light years. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can actually see it very well with a small telescope as yeah. we were saying. Magnitude 7.19, that's very reasonable. That's mm. Brighter than the stars that I was looking at last night at work. Oh, for sure, it is one of the brightest galaxies that you can see. And you will see the roundish object. It's elliptical galaxy. So at the end of the day, well, don't expect to see... Um, it's not too exciting. Too exciting. But, but, but there it is. No? Very, very yeah. interesting, interesting object. And there have been some amateur astronomers using large telescopes that they claim that they have actually seen the jet. Hmm. Interesting. It might be. It is very easily seen in the photos. Mm-hmm. Um, we know for sure that the astronomer Otto Strube using a two and a half meter telescope saw it. The Hooker telescope saw the jet. Mm-hmm. And now we have a better technique. I don't know. Perhaps they are extrapolating the imagination a bit too much. But at the end of the day, it is just a fantastic object to have a look and to enjoy. So surely, Angel, we've, we've been away for a while. Surely we have more feedback than just one question. You are completely right. We have more feedback. I have uh, here three things that perhaps we are going to go very quickly also for thanking the people who are actually doing the questions. At Oz Scooter says, Hey there, the scientists. Hope you are both well. Yeah, we're both well. <laughs> Would love to hear some astrobook recommendations on the show sometimes if you get a chance. Love the podcast. Keep up the awesomeness. Oh, but thank you. Thank you, Oz Scooter. So. Books. So, books. books. I would 110% recommend Lisa Harvey Smith's. When galaxies collide. Okay, well, um, I was going to recommend that. Ah, but anyway. <laughs> no, what I was going to suggest, besides recommending the fantastic Lisa's book, why don't we try to get one of the next episodes talking a bit more about books? Because there are plenty of books out there. There are heaps of books. In there. the same way we did yes. the special about the special episode about apps. Yes. We can yes, do something we'll do about books. books. So it is a very good recommendation. Um, the very same as Scooter. I'm not sure if asking this or mentioning this, but I'm going to quickly mention and we just ah, and we move away. I know how you love a good supermoon. Have you seen the upcoming warm moon, also known as the crown moon, crust moon, sap moon, due around the equinox making it super rare? Well, I did see this super worm equinox moon and I thought it was hilarious. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was getting mis- messages. Have you seen the warm moon? Have you seen the warm moon? The what? <laughs> well, and then I did a bit of research, although I think I already knew from the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems that this year, someone had decided that all full moons are going to have a name. Oh. So we should expect, I, don't, I should have checked, but I should, we should expect the next full moon, which is going to be the Easter mm-hmm. full moon, it will have a name and all the rest of the name. But at the end of the day, please, please, please listen our episode two, Strawberry Moons. 
please. And blueberry moons. Ah, sorry, it was blueberry <laughs> moons. It was blueberry moons, not strawberry moons. Good. And the last theme from Juan Alberto Babio at G-B-A-B-I-O-P. I like this one. It is a shame that the women which were key to the birth and development of astrophysics remain unknown for a great majority of people. I always enjoy hearing about their achievements. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. It's lovely. Yeah, fantastic. So it's good that yes. we are getting there and making people aware of this amazing group of women. And we have mentioned another one today in this mm -hmm. episode. Add it to the list. Definitely, it is something very important to do, particularly mm -hmm. in the conditions that we are now, that we really have to fight everyone for getting the... The complete recognition. Recognition of mm -hmm. everything and every person independently of sex, age, religion, background, whatever, have exactly. to have exactly the same yes. weight in our societies. And I think that with that, we should be wrapping up. Yes, we, we said we'd give you a shorter episode, but knowing us, we, we just keep talking about space. Yeah, we have 50, <laughs> 53 minutes, almost 54 minutes here, but considering the planes and the dog, no, 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 we didn't have a dog this time. No, no dog this time. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, I will do some editing there too. So Yes, so um, a bit of housekeeping. We will be back after another little hiatus. I have my exams to finish in a month's time, but uh, during... These two weeks I have off between finishing exams and going into the next term, we will record a bunch of episodes for you guys and we will have them put out once a fortnight as per usual. Yes. So with that, we should really thank Christine for doing the effort of doing this special episode about the Event Horizon Telescope today. I couldn't hold it in. Yeah, I was going to explode. Anyway. So um, we will see you, or we will listen to you, perhaps. Or you will listen to us. us? No, we will listen to them if they finally send us a bit more feedback. Oh, good segue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, always send us your questions, uh, no matter what the question is, no matter what area of astrophysics. Send it to us, because we may end up using your question as a placeholder for our entire topic for an episode. Yeah, we have done that in the past. I'm mm -hmm. quite sure that we will do that in the future. Yeah. So yeah, send us questions. We love them. Yes. But for now, bye-bye. Bye. Talk to you soon. Yay! We did it. Uh, stop and save. We, we couldn't do this podcast without the plane. Don't laugh. It is not funny. I hate this. We need silence.